It's Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 47. Let's read God's word. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Um, this, the series that we're looking at over the next few weeks coming and even months is called Advancing the Gospel. And it's really based on the book of Acts in the New Testament. And uh, we see there the good news of Jesus, the message about Jesus, and the power of Jesus advancing, advancing, advancing. It just goes wide and it goes deep. And we see deep transformation in people's hearts and lives and in their families and their cities, but also goes wide as well. It geographically spreads across the, uh, the known world. It's just amazing within, within a generation. And so our heart and our, you know, our prayers, we go through this, is, is, Lord, would you do it again? If you've done it then... Could you do it again? Do it again, Lord, among us, and, and, and may we participate in that. Um, let me give you a few um, comments really about introduction in case you did miss the last week or the week before that. Um, la- last week's message, we, 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 we were examining briefly the, the account of the day of Pentecost, this amazing day in the history of the, the church when the Holy Spirit came and fell upon uh, the early believers, the first believers in Jesus. And we saw last week these amazing scenes, the sounds of mighty rushing wind filling the room where they were probably having a prayer meeting. And, and, and tongues of fire uh, appeared and separated and, and, and rested on each of them. Um, and, and, and they erupted with this sort of ecstatic praise, talking about the, uh, the marvelous works of God, what is done for them. And it spilled out on the streets. Do you remember that? And, and, and people who had gathered for the, the Jewish festival called Pentecost heard the good news of Jesus, the, the, the mighty works of God in their own language. It was amazing. And uh, uh, we've been seeing how uh, the followers of Jesus, and when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, were, were told to pray, thy kingdom come. And yet on the day of Pentecost, we, we saw in power... Uh, that prayer being answered, Jesus uh, sending his Holy Spirit and thy kingdom come. The kingdom was coming and coming in great power. And as we saw last week, the real kicker, um, I suppose, the real surprise was that uh, this is all happening through, through Jesus himself. Um, the Jewish people in general would, would, would um, expectantly hope for the coming of the kingdom. But, but through this man, Jesus, they, they were not prepared. 
Um, and, and so we saw last week that the, the Apostle Peter, freshly, I suppose, filled with the Holy Spirit, got up uh, boldly uh, and he said to the crowd, he said, uh, this Jesus uh, whom, who, whom has done these amazing signs that the God raised from the dead, he said, you killed him, you rejected him, you sinned against him, but the good news is that he, he, he is full of grace and forgiveness and through trusting in him, through turning to him, through being baptized, he will forgive your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we saw that last week. The kingdom has come upon you, says the Apostle Peter. And so in today's text that, that Neil's just read, and we see, for example, in verse 41, it says that those who received his word, that is the message about Jesus from the Apostle Peter, um, were baptized and were added that day, about 3,000 souls. They heard, they accepted, they received. That is, they took on the message by faith. They trusted that it was true and right and true uh, you know, to them. And they were baptized in water. And it says they were added. And the question, I suppose, is, well, they're added to what? And the answer is they were added to the body of believers that were already existing, about 120 people. They suddenly had an injection of about 3,000 visitors on one morning. Imagine that, 3,000 turning up. Praise God, they wouldn't fit um, probably wouldn't even fit into the car park, let alone into this room. Um, added to the body of believers, the church. It was amazing, this explosion, this sudden uh, response to the good news. Um, so sometimes you hear people, uh, maybe you're one of them yourself, saying, well, I don't like big church. I don't like big churches. Um, but they didn't get that choice in, the, in, in, in that option there. They didn't get that. Um, the first church was what we would maybe call it with modern language a mega church. There was about 3,000 people that attended it. They went along. Um, but yet what we're going to spend our time this morning is looking at the quality of the community that was set up uh, in that early church. Um, people don't like big church because they assume that big means impersonal. You know, you're just a cog in the machine. You're just a number. Um, but what we're going to see here that is, is that a big church, a big group of people does not mean impersonal. In fact, a big group of people um, is a glorious thing. Um, it is an impactful thing. It is a gospel-proclaiming um, powerhouse, a generous community that is raised up to advance the gospel. So we'll see that. And, and what we're going to think about um, when we're examining this community that was really set up, I suppose four marks, four marks of a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. The, the, these, these words are ones that we've used frequently in Foundation Church to explain what kind of church we are. So the four marks of a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission, what are those four marks? I'll tell you right now. Uh, they were devoted. Uh, well, the, sorry, the community was devoted. The community was awe-inspiring. The community was benevolent, that means generous. And thirdly and finally, the community was growing. So first of all then, the first mark of a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission is that it was devoted. This is the first description that we see in verse 42. This is the first thing that's said about them. It says they devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They, by the way, that is the 3,000 or so, give or take, hard to, hard to guess, isn't it, crowds, but around 3,000 people, they were devoted to the teaching, the fellowship, the, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. What does it mean to be devoted? You probably know this already. Uh, to be devoted to something means to be single-minded in your attitude towards it. It means that you will give your heart and your mind and your energy and everything you've got to pursue that thing, your time, 
That's what it is to be devoted to. It, it, you are devoted to the thing which is most important in your life above all. That's what you're devoted to. And uh, they gave their chief attention to it. Um, just, just to be clear, um, did they have jobs they had to go off and do to make money to earn for their families? Yes, of course, they did, these 3,000 people. Did, did they have families that they had to look after and had responsibility to? Definitely. Did they have other uh, responsibilities and commitments in their own circles? Absolutely. Were there other things they could have been doing at that time? Absolutely there was, without doubt. But they were devoted to what mattered most to them. And I I would uh, put it to you this morning that everyone is devoted to what matters most to them. You are devoted to what matters most to you. And in the case of this early church and this amazing, powerful explosion um, that was the coming of the Holy Spirit, they, they became devoted to the teaching and the fellowship and so often. And you might think to yourself as you, as you, as you listen to this description of, of the first um, church, the first community, you might think to yourself, oh man, I, I wish I could be as devout as they were. I wish I could be as committed. I wish I had the same religious appetite and drive as them. I I wish I could be passionate for the things of God as they were. But this may come as a surprise that you are committed. You are devoted to something. You, You will consider something of greatest value in your life. Everyone has it. Everyone has something that they would place at the greatest value in your life. It's whatever you spend your time and your money focused on. It's whatever you give your energies to, whatever you are willing to be inconvenienced by to a- a- obtain. The-, the thing that you will sacrifice yourself, you put yourself out for, that is the thing that you are most devoted to. It all, I think it all comes down to what grabs your heart, Right? Um, because, because whatever grabs your heart will drive you on in life. If your heart, for example, is set on being successful in the eyes of everybody around, then you will be someone who is devoted to work, to your career, to your studies, to the attainment of your goals. And everything else in your life will slot in behind that. Family and leisure and church and whatever else. It's, it'll slot in behind if that's your key devotion. Likewise, if your heart is set on bringing up the perfect family, then you will be devoted to obtaining that goal. Your children's education, their leisure time, um, y- everything else will come in behind that. Y- y- you can see where we're going with this. So the 3,000 people, give or take, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, they had, as we've been thinking, they had all the things that we possess. They had family, they had careers, they had a desire for riches and, and, and you know, just comf- comfort and, and leisure and all the rest of it. But here at the end of Peter's sermon, and that's, that's what we're focusing in on, they were left with a new passion that gripped their hearts. Um, they had new desires that weren't there maybe half an hour earlier. They had a new zeal. And that passion, that zeal, that devotion was to Jesus. And that changed everything else. That changed the way that they responded and lived their lives. They heard the gospel. Right? They, they turned to Christ. They received, as Peter was promising, they received the forgiveness of Jesus. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in water somehow or other. We don't know. 
The point is this, that their lives were turned inside out. They were cut to the heart. They were mended again by the grace of God. And so they were devoted to Jesus and this new community. How were they devoted to Jesus? How did they enjoy more of him? Well, specifically, as we've, as we've already seen, um, through the apostles' teaching. Um, they, they, they heard about Jesus, but they needed to hear more. They wanted to hear more. They were hungry for more of him. Uh, Peter said things that they had never heard before, or he said it in such a way they had never grasped before. They wanted to hear more. They knew that Jesus was the answer. They knew he was the fulfillment of all the questions and all the longings of their hearts. They knew he was the chosen one of God. They knew that life with Jesus um, at the center, they wanted all that. And so they hung on the apostles' teaching. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Teach us, they were don't stop. They were, they were lapping it up. They were hungry for more. How else were they devoted to Jesus, the teaching, but also the fellowship, you know, the group. This is the one another bit. Um, elsewhere, the Bible describes church as, as family. It says, for example, in verse 44, um, they were all together and had all things in common. They were, they were bound by this shared faith, this shared love for Jesus. Um, they didn't all look the same. They didn't come out of the cookie cutter machine, all looking identical, absolutely far from it. They were very unlike one another. But yet they were united together uh, by Jesus and by their common faith and love for him. It was amazing. You will not find an institution elsewhere in the whole globe, that has this diversity and this unity at the same time. They were devoted to uh, one another in the fellowship. They were devoted, it says number three, uh, to the breaking of bread. Um, there's probably a reference to the Lord's Supper, a.k.a. communion, a.k.a. Eucharist, whatever you might call it. Uh, the bread and the wine that builds us and reminds us of what Jesus has done. Um, it teaches us as we taste it. That's what it does. They were devoted to that. Um, and also prayers. It says they were devoted to prayers. It actually says they were devoted to the prayers, um, which suggests that um, it was likely the, the, the temple prayers, you know, the prayers of the people um, of Israel. They would have been devoted to those, the liturgical prayers, perhaps in the, in the temple worship. Um, perhaps these prayers for them had become familiar and ordinary, but now they were filled with such depth, such meaning, such value because of Jesus it's probably the prayers, but also, you know, we see in Acts chapter 4, they were devoted to prayer in general. They had prayer gatherings all the time, full of faith, seeing God move in amazing ways. They were devoted in all of these ways. And I, I for one, am thankful for um, the devotion that I see here at Foundation Church. I am thankful. I'm thankful for the way that we can express that Sunday after Sunday through worship, through singing, that is. I'm thankful to God for a Jesus-loving group of people here at Foundation Church. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And we come together to, work, to, to praise him with, with song. We come to hear his word uh, read. We come to enjoy fellowship. We come to celebrate the, the Lord's Supper every Sunday. We come pray um, on Sundays and during the week. So if we're looking for signs of what a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission might look like, we're starting to see them here. It's amazing. Beautiful. Taking root. Thank you, Lord. And yet devotion is, is not um, a static thing. It's not something you arrive at and say, aha, I have now reached a devoted state. I am now a devoted Christian. 
Um, it's all about being devoted. It's, it's, it's an ongoing action. Um, and, so, and so no matter how long you have been a Christian for, no matter how long you've been um, in, in Foundation Church for or any other church, um, it is something that we grow in. We go deeper in our devotion to Jesus and to one another. We're never done growing as we gather. And so my job as the pastor here um, is to take God's words, to um, open it up to you, to, to press it in and say, come on, uh, let's go deeper. Let's go further. Based on what he has said to us, let's hope for more. Let's expect him to do more based on what he has revealed to us. Let's pray for more. Maybe you need to go forward in your devotion to Jesus. Maybe you need to go forward in your devotion, maybe in, in, in reading his word and meditating on it and chewing over it every day. You can join us if that's you. You can join us on our discipleship reading program. Um, there are some sheets at the back on the table if you want. You can grab one of those. And uh, we, we read together um, on our own time uh, a chapter from the Old Testament, a chapter from the New Testament. It just gives a nice sustainable daily Bible reading uh, plan that you can read. If it's too much for you, you can choose to read either the Old or the New Testament section. It's really down to you. But it's just a tool to help you move forward and move deeper in your devotion to Jesus and listening to his voice uh, through the Scripture. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you want to, uh, and I'm encouraging you this morning, to, to move deeper in fellowship, deeper in relationship. Um, some, sometimes coming to church uh, um, is like a movement from the outside to the inside, you know, um, from, from the peripheries to the center, uh, from the cold, as opposed to the warmth. Uh, come and sit by the fire, as it were. And uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come and uh, be you know, deepen in relationships, uh, lean into fellowship a bit more. And for that purpose, we have um, multiple gatherings and options, not just on a Sunday morning. You've heard about the men's gathering on Sunday or Saturday. That's, that's one option. Um, women's gatherings from time to time happen as well. Uh, prayer gatherings uh, midweek. Any opportunity for us to uh, get to know each other, uh, to, to, to swap numbers, to encourage one another, uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come along to some of those additional events. So the first mark then of a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, blah, 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 uh, community on mission is uh, devotion. Devotion. Second mark then, number two, it is awe-inspiring. When God is at work among his people, it is awe-inspiring. Where do we get that from? Verse 43. It said, And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This word awe um, is the same word used by Luke at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Um, when the father of John the Baptist saw an angel of the Lord at the altar, it said he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Awe fell upon him. Because he's just been seeing and conversing with an angel of God. Awesome. Same word is used by Matthew at the end of his gospel. Matthew 28, when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary discovered the empty tomb, they met another angel who said to them, go and tell uh, the disciples of Jesus, he has risen. And it says they departed quickly from the empty tomb, filled with awe and great joy. Awe is this sort of I can't believe what I've just seen and experienced type of feeling. It is a mixture of terror and ecstasy rolled into one. That is awe. And that is what happens when you come into, as it were, the presence of God. It fills you with awe. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. This um, visual confirmation 
of the power and the presence of God among his people. Awesome. It's awe-inspiring. It is awesome. It probably was uh, revealed in the shape of healings. The crippled person who came to your church can now walk. The woman who has the bad back seems to be remarkably active these days. That child who has leprosy is now uh, fully cleared up. The person with bad eyes is seeing, the deaf are hearing. This is how things must have been that stirred awe and wonder in the church. That just deepened and confirmed their faith in Jesus. But I think it's probably not just the signs and wonders, as amazing as they were. I'm sure it was also the awe of transformed lives. When people truly um, and deeply accepted the good news of Jesus, it reoriented and rearranged their lives. The Bible speaks of a new creation. And when you see these things taking place in the community of God's people, it is awe-inspiring. I knew what that person was like, and he was a scoundrel. And yet he's come to Jesus. And now look at the way he's living his life. Inspires awe. Perhaps there was other forms of awe. Awe at the level of sacrifice and love that was being shared and experienced among the people. It is so different to what it's like out in the world, where it's a dog-eat-dog do what you can to get ahead in the church. That's not how it is. It, is. it is sacrifice and love. It is awe-inspiring. Most likely it was awe at the amazing message of the gospel, that Jesus would save someone like me. 3,000 people realized their need for him and gave themselves to him at once. Such a big number accepting Jesus all at one go. Let's face it, if there was only five that came to faith that day, um, it would have been wonderful, but uh, probably slightly less awe-inspiring than 3,000 people. Gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission is to be awe-inspiring. Not because it looks anything special in and of itself, the people are ordinary and normal, but because it is undeniably the place where God is at work. It's not something that we can produce in ourselves. It is a gift that God gives. And awe is the reaction that God is working in our midst. At Foundation Church, we cannot control that, but we sure can ask for it. As we increase in numbers, as we are doing, as we increase in our devotion, as we see in verse 42, as we thirst after God in prayer, as we are open and expectant that he will pour out his spirit upon us, then we shall see awe-inspiring reactions, awe-inspiring moments, awe-inspired people at Foundation Church. Um, it happens in a variety of, of, of contexts. And um, we can see here in the early church, um, they, they, they came together en masse, you know, big, the big venue, worshiping God in the temple, it says, in verse 46. But then it says they ate and drank and enjoyed fellowship in one another's homes. So it was the big and the small, the public gatherings where they're all together, the private intimate gatherings in smaller groups. Please note, God does not favor one gathering over another, one space over another. Yes, there is something incredibly special when we come together as a whole body. That is very important indeed. It says to the world, it says to the one another, we are here. Listen, believe, worship with us, all that stuff. That's great. But God is equally pleased when smaller groups of his people come together. He is just as able to visit them in power with his presence in a small group 
even as an individual, that as he is on a large group. I remember a few years back, not that long ago now, and I was hosting a, a small group Bible study in our, in our house. And we were studying some theology, which is very interesting, um, very, very, very enjoyable, but um, not necessarily, I suppose, the moment you might think that God would visit you in power. And one night, we had finished the material, we were looking at the book of Exodus and God's, um, you know, bringing people out of slavery. I finished the, finished the, the thing, we had a time of worship where we just sang a song. And the idea was that everyone was going to go. And there's probably a handful of about, I don't know, six or seven of us, something like that. None, none, none of them are here just now, by the way. And all I can describe is the sense of God's presence filling the room as powerfully as it were that someone had simply walked in the door. It was palpable. Even the cat uh, next door knew that something was up because she, she sat there for an hour and a half or something like that looking through the door. She, she knew that something was going on and she's just a cat. And it, uh, I know it's not very scientific, but I can tell you this, that when you're in that room, that moment, we all fell silent and fell silent for about an hour and a half because the sense of God's presence among us was so powerful. And, um, and that was it. And, and actually, I remember, this is just my, my testimony. I couldn't speak. None of us could speak. Um, I, try, I actually tried, because <clears throat> I wasn't sure if I could, because I was so aware of the presence of God, as if he had just walked in. I actually made a few <clears throat> cough moments just to see, and yes, my voice was still working, but it just wasn't, wasn't actually going to say anything. And, and, and then almost as quickly as it began, this, this, this sense of the presence of God, um, after an hour and a half or something like that, it was almost as if uh, he, he, he left again. He walked out, I suppose, left. left and and, and that, that was it. And we were just so aware, so impacted. And it wasn't just me. There were six or seven of us. And so impacted by the presence, the awe-inspiring presence of God. Who knows, when you study theology what might happen. It was amazing. And I'm just so thankful that God would visit us um, in that way. It was so, so, um, so encouraging, so transforming. Um, let me finish this little section by saying this. <clears throat> Maybe you naturally prefer the big meetings. My encouragement to you is embrace the small. Come to the small prayer meetings. Come to the men's hike. Come to something smaller. Be more vulnerable. Be more open to forming relationships and connections place where you can pray and be prayed for, be supported in other ways is not possible in the big gathering. Maybe you're the other way. Maybe you naturally prefer the small and the intimate. My challenge to you is come and embrace the big. Come and add your voice to the singing. Come and encourage each other. Just by turning up, your presence encourages everyone in this room. Do you know that? I've said this before a number of times at Foundation. We are encouraged by your presence. We are discouraged by your absence. Uh, so we, we the church, one another. That's just how it is. That's just how important it is that we gather together. It's awe-inspiring. The third mark then of a gospel-centered community-empowered, com uh, sorry, spirit-empowered community mission, the third mark is benevolence, or in other words, generosity. It flows out of devotion, doesn't it? Um, we're, 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 we're generous to the fellowship, to one another. Uh, we're willing to get behind one another practically. Where do we get that from? Well, in verse 45, it says, They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
such a kind bunch of people, so loving <laughs> to one another. It was just natural for the gospel-centered community to be like this. And it's, it's what happens when kingdom values start to take hold. Um, it, it comes naturally. And, and these values, it seems, stuck with the, with the early church. Um, after the conversion of the Roman emperor, uh, Constantine, um, there, there was another emperor that came um, a bit after him called Julian the Apostate. And, and by this time, Rome had officially, um, the Roman Empire had officially adopted Christianity. It took him about 300 years after the birth of Christ. But anyway, they'd officially adopted Christianity. But there was one emperor, who was a pagan, called Julian the Apostate. And what he tried to do in his short reign was turn Rome back again, back to the old religion. Um, but yet he could not deny what was going on in the church. And he, this is what he wrote. And he was no fan of Christianity. Uh, this is what he wrote in one of his um, entries. He said, Why do we not observe that it is there, he's talking about Christians, their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and their pretended holiness of their lives that has done most to increase their religion? The impious Galileans, that is the Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. The early church, you see, were committed to being generous to one another in a way that actually spilled out to their concern for those outside the church. And even this pagan emperor is forced to admit that their religion, as it were, Christianity, was growing because of their kindness, their benevolence. And this, this mark, I suppose, this uh, value of, of the community, benevolence, is being expressed among us, as, as, as we're saying, it's the natural outflow of your devotion to Jesus and to one another. And as we move onwards together as a church, my encouragement to you is to take time to listen, really listen to what people are saying when you're talking to them. Really listen to what's going on in their lives, what they're sharing to you. Because when trust builds between one another and fellowship deepens, um, we can expect this more and more. Um, you will have and hear opportunities to show generosity and benevolence and kindness to one another. Um, and, and, and yes, we can do programs and, 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 and ministries and gather money and give that to the poor and all that. But, but the, nothing beats what happens um, when we are generous and kind to one another. Um, this could be quite fun, actually. Be on the lookout for ways to express generosity to others at Foundation Church. Think of yourself as a mercy ninja. You know, you can just sort of jump in and, uh, and do some acts of kindness. And what, what am I talking about? Um, something that's timely, something that's thoughtful, uh, based on what you're you know, hearing from other people. You might think, how can I help you? Um, how can I encourage you? How can I serve you? How can I pray for a need? Maybe you can check in with someone uh, during the week. Maybe you can uh, send them some form of material blessing, whatever it might be. Bless them in some way or other. Don't forget, when people come across our church from outside, um, the first thing they will see and notice is how we behave and how we are with one another. Um, and coming from a, a teacher or a preacher, it's not initially what, what we think or what we believe or teach. As important as those things are, that comes later. But the first thing that people see and notice is how we behave, the kind of people we are how we treat one another in word and deed, is what attracts people to the church and ultimately to Jesus. So your generosity, your kindness is, is missional. 
it points to Jesus. So we see that, and we'll see that more as we go through the book of Acts as well uh, later on. So the third mark is benevolence. The fourth mark, the final mark that we'll see in today's text is that the gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission is growing. You might think to yourself, well, it's big already. They've got about 3,000 people in addition to the 120 or so that are already there. That's, that's pretty good going for a church. And we might think, well, maybe they've peaked. You know, they've had, a, they've had their explosive moments. They, they, they've had a good season. God's been good, but we can't expect too much more. You know, things must turn eventually. That's just the law, the law of averages. But in verse 47, we realize that this is just the beginning. This is not how it is in the eyes of God at all. It says, uh, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission is a growing church. It's so encouraging. We need to hear this, I think, right now. Because, yeah, we're, we're dreaming and hoping for big things here at Foundation Church in Clarewood and, and, and beyond as well into the city. And it can be quite easy, I think, particularly when you've been in it for a long time, like I have, to become disillusioned when it doesn't happen right when you want, or God doesn't bring the growth how you think it should come, when you think it should be here. And yes, there are seasons and, 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 and peaks and troughs and all the rest of it, but we see here that fundamentally the Spirit-empowered church is a growing church. We can expect to grow. And we started the church... Uh, we're just a small handful of people in our uh, living room in a flat we used to live in. And, and now, well, there's, there's a, good, a great number here this morning, 45, maybe something like that. We, we always count the kids, of course, you know. Um, so they're, they're just as important as you lot are. So um, let's not forget them. But yeah, so we're starting to grow. And, it, and, it, and it's going in the right direction, praise God. We want to be a church, though. We want to be a church that helps you help your friends come to know Jesus. That's how we will grow. We want them to come to know Jesus. This means bringing your friends and your family to church gatherings. I know it's not always easy. I know it can be awkward at sometimes, but, but it means being the kinds of people that talks the gospel, that invites and says, come and see, come and see uh, what God is doing. We want to help you do that excellently. And um, Neil's mentioned already the, the 3 to one course that we're doing. It's running at the moment, but we are going to run it again in the evening as well. I'm aware that, that mornings work for some people, evenings work better for others, so we will do it in the evening again. So next time, why don't, why don't you think about um, who you can invite? Who can you bring along? It's a great way to, um, to get, get the ball rolling when it comes to knowing Jesus. You can actually run it yourself as well, by the way. If you Google 3 to one course... Um, uh, you'll find it, and um, you can actually run it yourself. You can, you can go through the material yourself. Um, you can share it with a friend or what have you. We've also got church lunches, outreach events, clubs, all these things. We have plans and hopes for all of these things. Spirit-empowered church is a growing church. Just imagine for a moment what that could look like if we see these four marks in increasing depth and power among us here at Foundation Church. Imagine if we sought and expected and practiced all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. Think about how full of life a church would be if that were the case. Just think about how vibrant and life-giving and transformative that church would be when God is moving by his Holy Spirit 
when life is coursing through our veins, imagine that. Imagine the kind of church where families that are on the rocks are going to be split apart, are saved from disaster, and are restored because of the transforming power of Jesus. Imagine a place where sickness is healed. Imagine a place where counter-cultural community made up from people of all walks of life comes together under the name of Foundation Church Belfast. Each person telling their own story of God's grace in their lives, being baptized, celebrating them, and hearing God's good news being shared. Imagine a church where the lonely discover they actually have a huge family. Imagine a church where the wanderer finds a home, where addictions are broken, where debt is released, a place where the world looks and sees a taste of heaven in the church. Imagine that. Imagine a place where Jesus is routinely glorified and made famous among us. When God the Holy Spirit is at work among us, when Jesus is lifted up, these are things that are not just a hope, but things that we shall see. Come Holy Spirit, do this work in us we pray. Amen.